Welcome back to Trending in Education. Uh, Mike Palmer here, joined as always by my uh, colleague and partner in crime, uh, Brandon Jones. Brandon, how are you? I'm quite well. So I am joined, you are joined by me as always, yeah. although the setting is a little different. It is. So you may see us sitting in this setting since we are on, I guess it depends on who you are and how you're consuming us. Correct. Right? Because if you are just listening, you may not know that yeah. we are also filming this. Correct. We're going to straight to video as well. Right, right. If you're seeing us, you know that. Right. Right. And, and we're all about uh, universal design for learning. Truth. And sometimes people want to listen to content. Sometimes they want to see it. Uh, they always want us to entertain wonderful guests. Uh, that's true. Before you get to introduce our wonderful guests. Yeah, I can, just, enter I can entertain them ahead. <laughs> right? You can entertain them ahead. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's them in the background laughing. The, um, just to set the stage for those of you Please. who are just listening. Set it. Uh, there are four of us. Yes. So you should hear four voices today. Correct. Or we've done a bad job hosting. Right. There are four chairs. They're orange chairs. Yeah, they're nice chairs. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. imagine us sitting here having this conversation, sitting in nice chairs. Yes. Because that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's time to introduce our. I guests. think so. I'm excited. This is great. I, yeah. I love the topic. Yeah. I know these guys well. Right. Um, and I'm excited to uh, have our listeners listen to them. Yeah. And our listeners have really given us great response to a lot of the guests we've gotten on the show lately. One of the more recent guests uh, is our. Our friend of the show, uh, Larry Rudman, Vice President of Instruction at Kaplan. Larry, welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank uh, you. It's good to be here. Pleasure to have you here. Uh, and uh, Larry's here to kind of help Brandon and I uh, keep up with our, our other thought leader who we're joined with, uh, who is David Nimi. Uh, so David, welcome to the show. Uh, David is uh, Vice President of Measurement at uh, Kaplan as well, so uh, both uh, Larry and David uh, worked together a bunch on a lot of the Kaplan-wide efforts. Uh, one of the more recent efforts uh, is a book that you've been working on, uh, mm -hmm. David. So can, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the book and your job, your role here with us at Kaplan? Sure. Well, as the VP of Measurement, as you described it, the main thing I really focus on is how we know whether our students are actually learning anything and how we know that in a way we could actually have some confidence in the results. And we want to do it in a way that actually tells us how, if the students are having trouble anywhere, that we know what to do about it, that the, the kinds of measurements we put in place actually can be usable and, and um, we can do something about it later. And that's actually a major theme of the book that we'll talk about too, that it's not enough just to collect a lot of data. Um, you have to get the right kind of data. You have to know why you're collecting the data and what it is and so on and then be able to do something. With it, so that's what I actually work with all the different units across Kaplan, mm -hmm. um, and maybe you've talked about this before. But we have used to be known as a test prep company. Now we've got law schools and language schools and business schools and other entities around the world, mm -hmm. but they're all involved in teaching students something. And uh, so I'm the guy that works with them. And so how do we know they're actually learning something in all these different contexts? Yep, yep. And then um, part of that, uh, I mean, this kind of fits in perfectly with the book, but uh, the book came about actually in a kind of an interesting way many, many years ago. It's part of a project funded by the Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the MacArthur Foundation. Um, actually put some money into getting together a group called the Learning Analytics Work Group. And that group was initially led by one of our co-editors, Roy P. at Stanford. Um, and he and the foundation actually selected the people to kind of represent a broad range of all the people who would need to be involved in learning analytics in order for it to be uh, an enterprise that actually means something and, and accomplishes something in the end. It can't just be 
data miners or data analyst people because they're, they have to work closely with people who know something about learning and the educators who are actually going to use the data. Yep. So this is about how do, we, how do we make a field that brings all those people together in a way that actually can, we hear this way too much, but in effect can revolutionize the way that students are learning now. Yeah. Um, so you assembled like a crack staff yeah. of superstars, kind of like the Avengers right. or right. The, the Super Friends? Were they the Super I, I, Friends? I, I any of those. It's, it's yeah, kind of like that, works. but the, what's interesting about this, you can look at some other um, learning analytics book now, le books, and there's quite a few of them out, learning analytics and education, and, or and higher education, rather. Right. Um, many of them are by people on the data side. Right. What we have here are people who are really focused on the learning side of things, yep. like um, you know, many, many um, very well-known learning scientists, and uh, there, is, there are some data mining people, people who are interested in uh, issues like uh, student privacy and sure. protection of students. And it's kind of a different thing. It, there are different concerns when you're doing data analytics and education than Facebook faces or right. Amazon, because there it's kind of everybody basically signs away their rights to all the information about them. But there are federal regulations and protections for students in educational settings. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be aware of what those are. And we've got, you know, one of the chapters of the book is basically about this. So yeah, the foundations put together this group. And the original intention was to publish a book out of it, and needed right. to, to get people together to talk about what should this field be like, um, and then write some papers kind of expressing different perspectives on the field, and, and then publish a book. But for various reasons, um, that effort kind of stalled after a while. Uh, but I had, several of us had written papers, and after a while I, I decided, well, I want to get our paper published, uh, which is about persistence, how do we help students, you know, persist in their academic uh, enterprises. Right. And um, then I decided, well, maybe the other authors would be interested in that too. So with Bora Saxberg, who's one of our co-editors. Friend, friend of the show, yeah, former guest. Former guest, yeah. uh, now he, at the he Chan, kind of Chan Zuckerberg. Yep, he's at Chan Zuckerberg now. And, but he said at the time, um, speaking for Kaplan, yes, definitely we want to be involved. Go ahead and do this. So I actually took the lead on organizing then the putting together of all the papers and so you're editing like, of them. You're like Iron Man of the, like, <laughs> like you're, you're one yeah, of the, that's, so you're that's like the I like leader of, of, exactly. of the crowd. And uh, what's it like organizing that many people? Because like you had like 30 contributors? You had quite a few contributors, Yeah, I think right? there's maybe 21 or something altogether, all the uh, authors involved. And, in. and you were both an editor, and, and then you also wrote a chapter? Yeah, and the introduction to the an book, introduction. Yeah. Like, Well, the lead author on both of those. Yeah, pieces, yeah. yeah, so can you talk a little bit about what that process uh, was like? Like, how, how did you figure out who to contribute, and then how did you get everybody, uh, you know, we like like to talk about herding cats, you know, like yeah. how do you get everybody... Do you mean con computer adaptive tests? <laughs> no, all of those things. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Herding yeah. MSTs. Herding, yeah. Uh, herding learning, learning, learning analysts, I guess. So they learning were... Engineers, uh, well, there, it's a wide range of people, but yeah, you could say in the end they're all involved in learning analytics in some way. Yeah. Um, but it's, a, it's more of a challenge. I mean, it's a great thing when you work with a lot of very famous people in their particular fields. Yep. Um, it's great because you're getting the best thoughts from the best minds in every field. In fact, at one point I was kind of looking through the book and saying, you know, I'm really the only person in here that I don't recognize. You know, <laughs> this is so well known. Um, not exactly true, but, but the challenge there is those are the busiest people, obviously, you sure. know, who are being called on by everybody to do everything. So 
the main thing was, the, the biggest challenge, and it, it took a, a lot longer than I thought to do this, was to get people just on a timeline and meeting deadlines right. and, and so on, because you know, the more well-known you are, the less you have to pay attention to stuff like that. Sure. So that's <laughs> the, you know, trying to manage that team. In the end, I think it came out uh, really well, but that, that was the main work. And then getting everything edited and in the right format and style and all yeah. that. But, but, it, but if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like you get a lot of uh, diverse perspectives on the intersection between sort of the big data movement and, and the trend around just data analytics and data collection, and then the intersection between that and uh, really thinking about it from a learning perspective. Yes. How, what do we know about how students learn? Yep. And um, what what can help them learn, you know, more quickly and efficiently, and, and in a way that doesn't make them miserable and so on. So we wanted to bring that perspective in, um, along with uh, just the data analysis thing, because it's it's not about just looking at numbers. And uh, I just it, I just recalled that I saw a New Yorker cartoon one time, which basically had a guy standing on a stage with a mic and sitting on chairs behind him were a bunch of numbers, big kind of blocky shaped numbers with faces on them. And the, the guy at the mic says to the audience, all right, now it's time to let the numbers speak for themselves. Right. <laughs> and and uh, my feeling when I saw that was that, well, no, numbers cannot, they can't speak for themselves. Right. We have to know what questions to ask them. We have to understand their language. We have to know what they're saying. Right. Um, it has to mean something to us that we could actually act on later on. And that's what the field of learning analytics is really about. It's not about you know, letting people just deal with raw data, which we're, we have so much of now. One of the chapters actually calls it the, the digital ocean yeah. um, that you could easily drown in. And I think what's happening in education is a lot of people are just kind of lost with what do we do with all these data, which is a change from the past when data were sparse in education. They were, right. you know, in file folders. And if you wanted to know what a bunch of students did, you'd have to go into the file cabinet in the you know, principal's office or something and pull out all these folders. Well, now everything's digital and very accessible to people, but the problem now is there's too much of it, right. and people don't know what to make of it, and so that's what we're trying to, you know, build the framework for dealing with uh, all, the, all the access to data that we have now that we didn't have in the past. Yeah, sure, finding the, the, signal, uh, the signal in the noise is, yeah. uh, is yep. something we talk about a bunch. Brandon, uh, for those of you who are watching Brandon, Brandon's about to grab a book. I sure am. Yeah. This is going to be a great form factor for just our listeners. Yeah. Um, this is the sound of me holding a book. A hardcover. <laughs> Did you like how that sounded? I did. Uh, it is a hardcover, so I thought, we, we jumped right into it. I don't think we actually even gave uh, a pitch for the actual book itself. It's Learning Analytics in Education, uh, and this just published in the last couple weeks, so this is hot off the presses. Is it, uh, ouch? Yeah, woos. <laughs> That's the sound, what's the sound Smoking. of one hand touching a hot book? Um, David, I wonder if you just talk a little bit about who, who is the audience? So you've edited and authored part of this book, and, and who is it, who's it for? Well, it's kind of a range of people. It's, um, in, in some cases, a somewhat technical book, but it's not just designed for a technical audience, and it's not really a how-to-do data analysis kind of book. Um, it's really for people who are maybe involved in some aspects of educational measurement or analyzing data for universities or school districts, um, but also the people on the learning side, which is what many of the authors are, who have gotten interested in you know, how can we do something more meaningful with data than we've been able to do in the past? And how can we use some new technologies, not just to, you know, analyze what students are doing, but to um, do a better job of teaching them, drawing on what we know as learning researchers. So it's really for a, a big part of the learning science community mm -hmm. who's also interested in the assessment aspect of things, which is kind of where I am. I actually started out as a learning scientist and then mm -hmm. got interested in 
and how we use data. So, so I know some of the chapter authors are interested in using it as a textbook in their classes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as introductions to the field of analytics. So anybody who's just interested in, you know, I've heard this thing, learning analytics, what is it? What, what it's all about? What, you know, could it be any use to me? And that could be, um, could be a school principal sure. even, who, who might say, well, I'd like to see if I can get more out of new techniques that are available. What are those techniques right. and what could I do with them? And that kind of brings, uh, brings our friend of the show, Larry, into <coughs> the equation a little bit as well, where like one thing uh, you know, we've talked to Larry about is uh, the problems educators face and like actual practitioners face. And uh, I wonder how, how you think about uh, learning analytics and how you think about um, sort of applying some of the stuff that, that David's talking about uh, to more the instructional side of things. Yeah, well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer your question by asking David a, a sort of clarifying question because, you know, as, a, as an educator and someone who works on the instructional side, I don't have the sort of depth of expertise that David has had on the measurement side, but the measurement training that I had dealt with data that would come in in these very sort of formalized ways, right? Students would take a test, they would take it periodically. Our source of data was from the questions on that test. We would look at those items and we would try to make sense of it. And, you know, we learned certain theories of how to make sense of that data. And we had certain frameworks of, you know, how to interpret data, what are some guidelines and frameworks, and how to use that uh, to guide instruction. But now you, you mentioned, um, you know, the digital ocean. Now all of a sudden, it's not just the Friday test or the Tuesday test as students engage uh, in their Coursera <coughs> courses, right? I mean, it's, it's every data click is a, is a potential opportunity. How do, how do you see it from, you know, you, your expertise in the field of measurement, do those old frameworks still hold in trying to make sense of these new sources of data? Or, or are we in a point where we're building new sort of measurement science to deal with new ways of understanding the click data? Click data, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my, my take on that and several, I was happy to see that several of the other authors um, agree with this. So we've got kind of a consistent perspective on this particular question because there are some people who think because we have new ways of collecting data, because we can watch quick stream data for thousands and thousands of students in the big online MOOCs, for example, where everybody's doing everything online, and if your system is built correctly, which actually is a big problem in a lot of learning systems now too, the, the systems that um, people use for online courses, they're not really built with how do we use the data, how do we get the data? Mm -hmm. It's often very difficult to get out the data, um, but then when you can get it out, what does it mean and what do you, what do, you do with it? It's not part of the, the framework that it needs to be. But my, my view is just because we've got new sources of data doesn't mean that we automatically know we are measuring learning validly, um, any more valid than we did before. So the principles in place for valid measurement of learning still apply. What we, we just need to figure out as part of this field, how do we make them work when the kinds of data we have are somewhat different? Mm -hmm. But those data, we still are going to want evidence that the clickstream data we're looking at actually are telling us something meaningful about learning. So if you design a terrible instructional program and put that online, and you collect information from everything that students are doing, 
you are probably not going to get much out of it because the, the program itself is just so bad. It's not teaching students anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it all kind of goes together. You've, you've got to kind of know that you've got a good, a good system in place delivering good instructional content and that the information you're pulling in whatever form it is, right. still you need evidence that it's, it's telling you what you need to know about what students are learning. So I, I think just, you know, the fact that there's more data now doesn't mean, well, we, we automatically have better information about students. In some ways, we have worse information because a lot of what's out there online now is just kind of junk and the data being you know, pulled from that is also junk. And I think this is a really important point. I, I was um, looking at one of the systems uh, created at Carnegie Mellon University, and actually Ken Kedinger uh, is one of the authors with the book. Um, and we were looking at what they called their data shop, which is a place where they aggregate lots of data from lots of experiments that work through their system. And we started to have a discussion about, well, the data's great, but what if we wanted to see the questions that actually led to the genesis of the data? Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting discussion between the data people who were like, why do you need to see the questions? It's data. And all the people on the instruction and measurement side were like, well, we got to see the questions. How do we know it's good data? Right. So it, it is an interesting sort of, uh, you know, tension to work out to make sure that, you know, like David's saying that, you know, you, you have a reason right. uh, and a well thought out argument for collecting your data. Yeah, it, re it reminds me of a concept we talk about on the show a lot is the importance of intentionality and understanding what problems you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So like what level of intent goes into the design so that you understand what type of data is going to be relevant to what you were doing. Like something we talk about a lot is, you know, the importance of learning objectives. Like what are you actually trying to teach the learner? And right. if you can actually specify that and identify how you want to measure it, it's very different than trying to retrofit the analysis after the fact. So then you're swimming in all this uh, I'm trying to figure out the life preserver, how to tie a life preserver and how to extend. First, first we were the Avengers. Right. Now, now the, maybe, maybe we Aquaman. Need Aquaman. That was yeah, where I was going. Go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. That's, that's Aquaman's noise. I right, think. Yeah. right. I always felt like his skill was, was a little bit context dependent. I always felt bad for him when they're, like, they're in like the Sahara and like they got to find an oasis for, for Aquaman to. But anyway, getting back to learning analytics. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just so I don't have to be the water world guy. Yes, <laughs> that. absolutely. I'll but okay the other thing part. I thought, just to, if I could build off your point Please. for a second, yeah. um, it's intentionality and also having a healthy relationship with data. And I think that when you think about the, the ocean of data that you've both described, uh, with an unhealthy relationship with data, you can find data that support conclusions that mm. you, whatever conclusions right. you want to draw. Right. Right. right? And if, you're, if you either have not great instructional design or question design or measurement, and that flows through and so you've got a lot of data that maybe isn't all that good, right. you could still, not, not even necessarily unscrupulously, but you could still find things that support yes. things that are expedient for you. And, and I, I think that um, presents a, a new kind of, um, it's like data ethics. Like I, I, that's, there's a new yes. field that all this wealth of data even introduces because I, I'm not sure that everybody has the same commitment to having that kind of healthy relationship with data right. when they're presented with these big, um, you know, data populations. I think it's I think it's another interesting. Yeah. Angle well, and, and that that's important because 
the, the quality, you know, the ethics sort of goes hand in hand with the data literacy. Mm -hmm. Because if the consumers aren't sort of being, you know, savvy and paying attention to how people are floating arguments by them, they're going to allow people to sort of just say, well, clearly this works. Right, right. you need like the, the data version of the Snopes report, right? You know, to, to right. say, you know, how, how factual is, I guess it's peer review, like that's part of it, right? Right. Um, but but, but I know. like where you're going too, like if you have a big enough data set, you can make it say just about anything, you know? So like, you know, the, the more nefarious, like the, the, the Legion of Doom, if you will, <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to keep working. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? I started there. I'm, You'll I'm, find it. I'm going to keep going. But, uh, but it's more like, uh, you know, if you're not open to what the data can tell you, and if you're not going in with that intent to understand what you're measuring, you can sort of manipulate the data to, to sort of reinforce. The, I think that's where you were yeah. going, to kind of reinforce a narrative that you were trying to build on. Is that part of what's covered yeah, in the book? Absolutely, and it's everything you're saying is exactly right and consistent with the, the viewpoint, I think, of all of the authors of the book. Um, and I, you know, the quality of the data you're looking at is a big deal in this area. If you're, if you're pretending that you're doing analytics about learning and you are not measuring learning validly, you're basically just putting out gibberish with complicated and exotic methods. Um, and as somebody wrote to him an email once, you know, the best way to actually improve the quality of our data analytics is to improve the data itself. And that's mm -hmm. a big issue right now. Right. Because even in the older kind of reporting and assessment schemes that you were talking about, Larry, the assessments of learning were often not very good. I mean, questions have been raised about what state tests, for example, there's been this big movement to have standards in all the mm -hmm. states and, and you know, have state tests that. and all that. Mm -hmm. And there's good reason to do that because we, you know, we just needed to know more about what students are actually learning and not have to take teachers' word for it sure. anymore because they didn't really know what they were doing when they were trying to talk about how they assess students and so on. But those tests had some negative effects too because they, it ended up being too expensive to actually assess student writing. You had to have people score them, and you had to have multiple scores. You know the scores were reliable, all that. States just could not do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So they ended up with multiple choice tests. And that had a big effect where people stopped actually teaching students how to write and taught them how to answer questions about grammar and spelling and so on. And of course, other things that weren't being tested, like music and social sciences and history and civics and all that just got eliminated for. So that's an example of where you know, a well-intentioned kind of assessment ended up having very negative kinds of effects. And you know, if you don't, if you don't really know what you're doing and trying to accomplish with assessments, that can happen. And that's a slightly different point from, sure. you can look at big data sets and you can set your you know, machines at work with the big data sets and find all sorts of patterns and whatever and make predictions about things and so on. But most of the stuff I've seen is just, it hasn't added anything new to our understanding of, of learning. So. Mm -hmm. The goal here is, all right, let's get, let's get some learning people in to kind of drive our thinking about what, what we should do and what kinds of techniques we should use to analyze all the possible sources of data. And I think it's likely we'll decide, well, some of these you know, big piles of data are just not, weren't even worth collecting in the mm -hmm. first place. Let's right. just you know, forget about those. Yeah. yeah, I like where you're going too, where like some, there's almost the, the allure of good data, like good out, like if, a, if standardized tests give you a, a very measurable set of outcomes, that can be so alluring that you lose sight of right. the actual design of the instruction to actually help the learner get better. So like yeah. you almost chase the cleaner data set at the expense of the quality of the instruction. Mm -hmm. um, a related thing though that I think uh, I'd like to get into more is um, 
where, what kind of problem, I mean, maybe the problem of persistence would be a good one to start with, but like what kind of problems are, are best, uh, are, are really available to be solved most effectively with, with, with new learning analytics? And I know, I think your chapter was specifically on uh, some of the problems around persistence. Yeah, which right? we kind of define as, um, well, you can define it in different ways. You could find it on sort of a higher level as just um, sticking in your academic program, whatever it is. And that takes, you know, one kind of persistence. But what's also interesting, which um, the data collection methods we've been talking about, click streams and so on, can enable us to do more effectively, is um, looking at whether students are persisting at specific tasks they have to do. Because in the end, to persist at the big level, you have to succeed at getting a lot of little things done day by day. And if you really wanted to solve the bigger persistence problem, my and, argument and can, really... Can we just pause for a moment just to, in case people don't know what we mean sure. by persistence, can mm -hmm. you just explain the problem that we're talking about? Or like, what, is, what does it mean? What is the impact to people? Well, lives? I mean, there's a huge economic impact on just the number of students who drop out of high school and don't go to, don't even, you know, get into college, let's say, and then the number of students who don't get through college once, once they enter. Um, that has a big impact on the students themselves because you've probably heard all the data about the difference, the huge difference it can make to you financially if you go to college versus not. Now, mm -hmm. those are average numbers, and you know, now people talk about, well, that doesn't work for everybody because if you spend you know, $150,000 on your college degree and you have to go work at Starbucks afterwards, maybe it's not paying off for you, but on average, um, there's a huge benefit to most people financially. So, uh, and, and people have kind of, economists have sort of looked at, and what's the effect on our economy of not having all the skilled workers we have and so on. Yep. So the dropout rates are really high, as everyone knows, from many high schools, particularly big school districts. And then lots of students graduate from high school, start in college, and they just don't have the skills coming out of high school. So these are problems that would make a big difference, you know, economically and many other ways to our countries, and, and of course to all the individuals if we could, yep. if we could solve them. So that's why yeah. you know, we, we took on this topic. So what could be done, mm -hmm. and how could new new ways of collecting data and teaching students help us do that? Mm -hmm. And um, again, the approach is sort of well, let's see if we can figure out with the more kind of micro levels of data that we're, we now have the potential to get, how to help students um, just get through specific tasks that they have to do. And that comes down to, let's, let's try to find out more about why they're not succeeding. And there are you know, a few main things you want to look at. One of them is um, they just don't have the knowledge to deal with what they have to cope with in college. Mm -hmm. So then the solution to that is, so how do we help students build the writing skills or whatever they need to succeed in college courses mm -hmm. or whatever writing skills they need to do a specific task. But it could also be uh, some kind of a motivational problem like um, students don't believe they can handle it and this is a big issue in a lot of university programs where students come from backgrounds, so, you know, they're the first person in their family to go to college, so that raises some questions about do I know how to, as opposed to, you know, if your parents both went to Yale or Harvard or whatever and you're right. going to a very good prep school, you have a totally different attitude about that. So if that's the issue for students, how do we deal with that? So um, what that means is we want to collect more information about what's actually getting in students' ways, and, and that kind of thing you can get at uh, by actually asking students questions online, give little surveys. Uh, and a really interesting study was done at Kaplan a while ago where um, they kind of redesigned some of our courses and built these little kind of mini assessments asking students, so how comfortable, how comfortable do you feel about what you're doing right now and are you likely to succeed at that? And then these little motivate, for students who said, well, I, I'm not really sure if I can handle this, 
um, there would be, if you, if you answered that, you would see a little video of somebody um, just talking about the same thing. You know, I, when I first saw this stuff, I didn't believe I could handle it at all. So here's what I did. Mm -hmm. I tried to get some help and, and whatever. So it's sort of the, uh, to, to really deal with the assessment problem, I mean with the persistence problem, getting a little bit of information from students as they're moving through the curriculum. And you can also just monitor if they're doing anything or not and, you know, send, ping a little message that, gee, I notice you haven't done anything for a while. Right. How about trying this assignment or this quiz or whatever? Right. Um, and all the evidence shows all, there are many different things you can do to be more effective in helping students get through their day-to-day -day stuff. So, yeah. um, and, it's, and you can do it more, teachers could do it by kind of surveying their whole classes, but the you know when you're learning online the capabilities to do these things are just greatly enhanced and this yeah. is this is where the revolutionary aspect could come into play but you've got to do the right thing you've got to know what you're doing yeah. getting back to the theme we've been and and then desi and designing online. your 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 online experience so that that those students who might lose their way feel like they have the support and you kind of exactly. you catch them right. you understand oh hey you may you may be drifting <clears throat> uh, this is how we pull you back. Right. And, and that is interesting because it does tie to something we talk about a lot around uh, social and emotional learning and about how um, what I like what you're doing there is like we frequently find surprising ways in which things that don't really seem to be connected actually are. Mm -hmm. So when you think about learning analytics, frequently it feels cold, quantitative, um, maybe like uh, depersonalized. And in this context, you're talking about how that sort of rich clickstream data can actually uh, address a real human and emotional problem uh, for those learners. I know it's, it's something uh, you've talked about uh, a bunch. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's, what's really powerful about, you know, the chapter that David's referring to that he wrote um, uh, with some of his colleagues uh, is just having a framework. Like, what they did was, which I thought was so cool, was looking at the research literature and operationalizing a framework to collect data uh, in terms of motivation. Because you could say the word motivation so many times that it almost feels meaningless, right? Mm -hmm. And when you start trying to understand, well, what does this mean? Uh, what is neat is that the chapter is kind of a blueprint for how to think about the data in your system. So when you, know, when you look at the chapter and you're talking about uh, you know, are students starting and stopping something? Uh, you know, are students uh, choosing not to engage? And then you say, oh, so what pieces of data in my clickstream map to not engaging, right? Like when are students having the opportunity to click on something but not doing it? Now you've got a whole different, it's not just a, data, a piece of data, it is now a count yeah. against this framework. And that's so awesome, because now you've got a practical way, right, of making sense of this. And, you know, I, I well, just get jazzed we'll get, we'll get about no, it. I, I, I get jazzed about it. No, because Larry is animated. No, I, 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 I'm very because you can really <laughs> no, you really can take like, that's a that's one of the chapters where you really could take it as a blueprint to say, wow, what what can we do in our own system in terms of the mapping to start being smarter about how we understand the data? Absolutely. And yeah. I, you know, I think what gets some people really excited is um, what about if you did this for five or ten years for a student and you kind of followed them and supported them and over time you sort of learned well what is most effective for this particular student and then you do this for thousands and thousands of students you could start to learn you know what is going to help certain students who just fit into certain profiles 
Um, you know, we can look at students who have the same back, kind of like when people make recommendations, you know, on what books you might like. For sure. This is like, um, students like this one really benefited from yes. these kinds of motivational right. messages or this kind of instruction or And having or a big enough data set so that people feel like they're not the only person right. Right. of their profile who's facing these problems. Like, like you're not, basically that sense that you're not alone, because like online yes. learning can feel very cold and isolating. Um, I know we're... We're coming up on time, and I know uh, based on uh, some signals I've gotten from Brandon <laughs> yeah. that you have some questions, and I believe they are nice. That's right. They're nice. That's what I've written on my laptop. For the folks who are just listening, I have a laptop. Yes. There's no table that I have. Uh, no, uh, there's one to side of me, but table. a side table. It's yeah. just, so my, my laptop is literally on my lap. For sure. Um, and I have some questions. They are nice. So two questions for you, David. One is meant to be maybe a little bit more with uh, introduce a little more levity, um, although We've been very excited. This is interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, so you are the uh, an author of a chapter and the editor of the book. So uh, your chapter is chapter three. Mm -hmm. uh, you're welcome to defer on this, but I'm gonna hit. Uh, what is a hard hitting question? Um, is chapter three the best chapter to be? Right? Like, <laughs> I like did you? This. Wow, that's right, nice. You're like, you're like the man, the player coach. You're like Pete Rose filling out the lineup card. You're like, you know yeah. what? I'm batting third batting tonight. Third. I like the baseball thing. So too. was there was there some thought that went into it? And did you give yourself that that peach of a position? That was nice. No. <laughs> uh, I, I did not give myself that peach of a position. Um, this was all actually determined. Who was going to write about what was determined early on Got in it. that work with the Learning Analytics Work Group? Um, I guess I, this will probably sound odd, but I guess I would say if I had my druthers, I might have written about something else at that ah. point. Ah. But this is a critically important thing, and um, you know, I think I hope other people will respond to it the same way Larry, Larry did. I, I think we've got some good answers for how to tackle it. Because it's, it's a huge issue, you know. Why do students drop out of school? Mm -hmm. And there's a wide range of reasons, and we're trying to present a framework for just dealing with that. What kinds of information do you need in order to know more about why students are dropping out and then do something about it? And this, this is part of the analytics thing, too, for me. It's not enough for people just to say, we're going to give people more data. You have to take on, and what are they going to do with it? Right. Um, you have to understand, you know, if it's a teacher, you can't just tell them a lot of their students are likely not to succeed or something like that. That could actually have a negative impact. Right. You have to give them information, which you can't assume teachers have, about what to do about that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we are, you know, trying to include that aspect in this, in this chapter, too. But there are other chapters dealing with you know some theoretical issues. And, I mean, and it sounds like you were uh, an effective enough uh, player that you could have you could have hit any spot in the That's lineup. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Somebody had to take on the the three hole. And that you, someone you was were, David. You were ready to do it. I think you have another I have nice, one other nice question. question. It, is, it sure is nice, at least as advertised by me. Um, <laughs> so this is trending in education, the podcast, uh -huh. uh, and I wondered if. Um, from the book, for our listeners, if there are any trends that you see on the learning analytics, the data side, instructional design side, measurement, um, that you think are going to be really impactful over the next, call it five to ten years. Mm -hmm. We've talked mm -hmm. about even here today, you know, big data, social emotional learning, AI, um, you know, the quantified self. These are all things we talked about on our mm -hmm. pod. Mm -hmm. Anything from, you know, from where, from where you sit either as author, editor, or in your day job, mm -hmm. I'm making air quotes now, um, that you see is going to be <laughs> a trend informing where we're, where we're going, not just where we've been? Well, I, you know, I think there are some exciting opportunities yet to be realized that have to do with um, kind of some work on the AI side. And people have been doing things like um, building virtual tutors that are actually, you know, basically robotic machine things that interact with people, 
Um, and and then in some cases, the motivation th thing is a, a good use of this because they provide support and encouragement, and they can you can actually now kind of monitor dialogue students are having with each other and pick up that some students are feeling uncertain or whatever and respond to that. And there's, and there's, a, uh, there's a real evidence that this can actually make a difference to students, um, whether or not they know that they're actually interacting with a robot. And some people have done things like set up for their, uh, one, one professor, for example, set up kind of an, an aid, for, a teacher teaching aid for his students that was actually um, just a machine. And all it did was provide information about the course. But you know, you have a question about when the test is and, you know, how should I study for it and what's going to be on it. This little agent would answer that. Um, and this looks actually as a, a very promising field. The thing is right now it's pretty expensive to build these things. But mm -hmm. if you could do it, thousands and thousands of students would benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And what I'm interested in is kind of using some of these people as assessors, of, you know, kind of getting more information about what students are struggling with. Um, that's the motivational question, and, and then helping them deal with that more effectively. Right now, it's kind of cans. This, the thing that I was referring to earlier, where this happened in a, a Kaplan course, it was kind of canned videos and all. But if you could build somebody that actually interacts effectively with students, right. um, and maybe assesses particular content that they're struggling with, you know, you identify, gee, I see you're really having trouble with this particular problem. How about trying this strategy? Right. Um, I, I think this is a, a very positive kind of direction that things could go, both on the instructional and assessment side. Mm -hmm. um, and some steps have been made in those directions. So that, that's one example. And, and it's just going to keep getting better. Yes. Um, although it does raise some questions just about trust, too. So it like, does, and, yeah. and like, is it human? We, we like Uncanny Valley. The Uncanny Valley. Although I think we've, we've talked about, Joe Watson, that, that, yes. uh, that TA, I think if this is the same one at Georgia Tech there, where... Yeah. She was, I think, the best-rated TA yeah. of, of that professor's entire set of TAs. What's it so, gonna feel like to be one of the human TAs? I know. That's <laughs> what I was gonna say. It's like the, 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 You're worse the, than a robot. That, exactly <laughs> right. I'm gonna get that T-shirt. It's gonna be training education <laughs> merch. Uh, humans worse than robots. Um, so I know we're running out of time. Just one more plug for the book. Yeah. So it's um, learning analytics and education. David Nimi is. Uh, not just uh, leader of measurement here at Kaplan, also the author and editor of this book. Yeah. Would you like to hold it? I do, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, that's a hardcover version this of that too. This is what I too. sound like when I'm holding a really smart book. That's right. So <laughs> hopefully people hear like the learning by osmosis. It's literally happening It right sounds now. like this. I mean, what I can say, um, I think this stuff really matters. Like I, I as someone who is in the business of <laughs> helping students get, uh, Larry's doing a great <laughs> job holding it now. Um, <laughs> Is, is someone who's in the business of helping students achieve the goals they want on standardized tests. Uh, instructional design, good systems of measurement, good frameworks we talked about, healthy relationships with data, all this stuff matters. So you know, I think if you are in, a, in the field or in a field that's adjacent, if you're an educator, if you're a program coordinator, uh, I think this book could be an interesting read for you. So, um, so David, thank you for joining us. Thank you, uh, Larry, friend of the pod. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks for how, good to be here. Keep, keep coming. How man. honest <laughs> did you keep us? Was it? Uh, I, I thought your questions were phenomenal. All right, that's uh, nice. that's great. Good Mike, job, good job by us, Brandon. Good job by us. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So, and we will, uh, I think, say goodbye here for now. We will, um, folks. We may or may not see you. I guess if if you saw us and you liked seeing us, uh, let us know. If you saw us and you didn't like seeing us. Don't let us know. Yes. If you didn't see us and you'd like to see us, I'm covering all the bases of this Punnett Square. <laughs> just, keep, keep on listening. just keep listening. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, and we'll be coming back at you with another episode of Trending in Education uh, just a little on later on down the trail. <laughs>